This podcast may contain explicit language. This is the Dynasty Download Podcast. Welcome to the Dynasty Download, the show where we prove Dynasty League fantasy is the best form there is. I'm Tom Duncan. 2018 champ, Ethan Hamilton. If you'd like to contact the show, please write us at dynastydownload10 at gmail.com. Again, that's dynastydownload10 at gmail.com. We are going to be starting our first email list as we kind of go along. So you can either subscribe on the website link that I'm going to attach to this episode or uh, simply email us at dynastydownload10 and you will be a part of that. We'll be putting some links to different uh, materials that we have going forward. That'll be a great use for uh, if I get back into article writing as we go along. Uh, You will also be the first in on all of our new episodes as they are released. So again, we are going to be covering things uh, past the fantasy playoffs. We're just going to be probably doing one episode a week during the actual NFL playoffs, kind of an act or a reaction and preview. But um, we're going to enjoy being with you throughout the rest of the NFL season. And then we will look ahead to the NFL draft once we've taken a deserved break, uh, probably in February, March. Maybe we'll even do a combine episode, um, bring in uh, some of our college experts or so. Yes, that's looking at you, Mr. Brundage. Uh, We don't have any trade roundup. Most of you are past your deadlines. If you are not uh, and have a a specific trade scenario that you'd like us to analyze or do something on the show, uh, please just email us again at dynastydownload10 at gmail.com. Valuations, there's really no point in doing them. At this point, your rosters are pretty well set. Unless you're doing a few free agency streamers here or there, most of these rosters are pretty well locked in, save for a few injuries that are going to be happening. But we only have one week left of most of the regular seasons for everybody and uh, three weeks of the playoffs. So especially if you've locked up or were lucky enough to lock up one of those first round buys for a division winner, that's going to be a treat for you. You basically, especially if you don't have a great opponent for the last week, can take the next couple of weeks off more or less. But you do want to monitor things as to who is or isn't on your roster. So let's just jump right into the what I got wrong. And this is kind of an unusual week. I had a hard time putting it together. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back too much in this regard, but it it was tough to put together a lot of evaluations this week as to what I got wrong. I I got a lot of things right for this week. My underrated stud of the week ended up having 171 yards and two touchdowns on Thanksgiving Day. We'll get to him in a minute. And uh, my upset pick, I think, hit, if I remember correctly. So it, it wasn't a ton, but uh, the five things or the six things that I'd like to highlight, uh, the Colts' D, it, they're just a completely different unit without DeForest Buckner. Again, more on them in a moment. J.D. McKissick, we thought he'd be a bigger factor. He had been a huge passing down target for Washington, and I don't know if it was game script or what it was, but he was just not there. And again, that's a game we're going to get to in a second, but Uh, He was not a big factor in that game for Washington as they rolled up on the Cowboys. Michael Pittman Jr., nine targets, but only two catches on the weekend. Uh, He's a guy that a lot of experts have been very high on and were extremely disappointed um, that his output just didn't end up having having anything uh, this weekend. 
I also had uh, both Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb going over 100 yards against Jacksonville. And if you take them collectively, they would have added up to 200 total yards on the ground. But unfortunately, that's not the way it works. And even though Kareem Hunt's efficiency was better than Nick Chubb's, he just didn't get enough touches to actually hit the 100-yard mark. James Robinson ended up having a a pretty good statement game in that that one for us. So uh, again, more on that in a minute. Allen Robinson had two touchdowns. Now, you can argue whether or not, uh, for all intents and purposes, whether these were in garbage time, but I didn't think he was necessarily going to do well against that Packers team. And the Packers were up so big early on that it's really hard to uh, say that uh, he had anything more than kind of garbage points from about the second quarter on. And finally, I had the over, I believe, on the Chiefs-Bucks game at 55.5 points. And after the first quarter, it probably looked like it was going to go that way. Unfortunately, it finished just under. I think it uh, hit at 51 points. So even in a game where uh, you had a lot of people scoring a lot and early on, sometimes the points just don't go your way. Uh, League Roundup. We are recording literally with 42 seconds left in the game uh, in this weird afternoon game between Baltimore and Pittsburgh that was scheduled for Thanksgiving night pushed to Sunday, pushed to Tuesday, and now pushed to Wednesday afternoon because the lighting of the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree is more important than an NFL game between two bitter rivals that usually draws huge ratings. Thank you, 2020. But for whatever it's worth, I'm just going to kind of give you, because most of the, the, I don't know if the the final scores are going to be locked in yet. Uh, They're kneeling on the game, so I could probably give you that, but I'll just basically give you an update on who won. Tom Terrific Best's Dynasty football team in a clash of Titans that was really uh, one of the better matchups of the weekend, given that both of them finished as uh, the second and third highest point scorers of the weekend. Akron Pros beats Dumpster Fire to pretty well lock in the last spot in the playoffs going Uh, through to next week, the final game of the regular season. I believe he will have at least a full game lead and the points on everybody below him. New Boot Goofin beats uh, Ed Winters, King in the North, with his uh, fourth place finish in points this week. Had a fairly good week and a fairly large victory uh, over Rogers Rabbits. And then LDH, the team that has been hitting fire for about three out of the last four weeks, absolutely crushes Shadynasty, who has probably their worst week of the fantasy season uh, after last week losing to the last place team in the league at that time. Uh, Shadynasty will drop out of first place and into second. Not not a fortunate run for you there, Shadynasty. Eh, you take some, you lose some. Um, like I said earlier when I beat Ben, and even when I said I'll see you guys again, so it's going to be a tough one this year. But I got a first-round buy, so we'll take that as we can. Well, provided that I win out next week, and I think I'm playing Rogers' team, I would imagine that I also would have a bye week, which is going to be nice given the difficulty Ooh, of the, the playoff that's matchups. That's what I'm saying. Yep. Yeah, I don't want to play any of these teams. I don't want to see Derek again. I don't want to see Tim's team again. I don't want to see anybody. I would just hope that all you guys kind of just quit and just give it to me at this point. (laughs) Well, Tim's team ended up just barely edging out Ben's for the third best points scoring of the weekend. And he didn't even start Austin Eckler, who ended up having like uh, his most touches in a single game ever. 
So, yeah, he could add that to his list. He also didn't start Mark Andrews this weekend, partly because Lamar Jackson was out for the game that we just mentioned. So he's got a formidable team, especially with Antonio Gibson rounding into form. He's got Aaron Jones, who theoretically could have the best uh, running back schedule going forward through the playoffs. And there's uh, a lot to like about his potential matchups, even though you would say he's probably the um, guy you fear the least uh, out of all of these teams. I did tell Ben over the weekend, I, I was talking to him about this. I think I feel the least confident in my own team being the team that will be there at the end. Oh my God, no way. I feel like I am going to lose right away come week 15. I don't feel great about the way my team has been trending whatsoever. And But you know that. I've been feeling that the whole year. That's why I've been making. So everybody else has been staying pat. I'm the one that's been making trades. So I don't know. I felt this kind of coming towards the end. Um, looking at my playoff schedule too, don't like it a lot don't like it a lot at all so i mean but you play the games so we'll see so let's get into our week 12 recap uh let's start with the first game on thanksgiving day the texans beat the lions 41 to 25 will fuller who i mentioned before was my underrated stud of the week seven targets six catches 171 yards two touchdowns had an absolutely explosive day and then we got the news that he was suspended. Uh, he will be suspended through the first game of next season. He, he is also going into his free agency. Uh, we will get to that in a second. Uh, Deshaun Watson, though, continues his tear. 318 total yard, or excuse me, 318 yards passing, four touchdowns, eight carries for 24 yards. DeAndre Swift was still out for this game. I would expect him back next week. TJ Hawkinson, currently the third highest scorer in fantasy points from the tight end position this year. Eight targets, five catches, 89 yards. Most of that coming on one really long play early on in the game. Adrian Peterson filled in adequately, 55 yards on the ground, two touchdowns. However, with the beatdown that happened from the Texans in this one, uh, both Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia were fired by the Lions. In fact, there was uh, something circulating on the internet earlier this week that Lions fans were thanking Deshaun Watson by contributing to his charity for getting rid of Matt Patricia. Will Fuller has this huge game. The Texans are going to be facing the Colts twice and the Bears in between those games uh, come fantasy playoff time, or I guess maybe it's the next three weeks. And they're now going to be doing it without the guy who is currently wide receiver number four on the year. What do you think the Texans will be without Will Fuller? Well, actually, I did some digging and I found a nice little chart to see the splits for Deshaun Watson with and without Will Fuller from 2017 to now uh, during weeks one through 17. So he's played 32 games with with Will Fuller in those 32 games for Deshaun Watson, at least. He averages 23 PPR points, 32 pass attempts, 21 completions, 280 yards, um, two touchdowns, and an interception. He's played 16 games without Will Fuller. In those 16 games without, he's averaging 19 points, 31 pass attempts, still 21 completions, only 227 yards, a touchdown, only about a touchdown. It's 1.3 and 0.6 interceptions. So, I, I mean, the split is pretty reasonable enough to – you have to be a little worried about, one, if you're a Texans fan. And, you know, some of these games were, you know, you had Luke Hopkins in them too. You know, you need to take that into effect. So, 
I would be a little bit worried, one, if I had Deshaun Watson as my quarterback, and two, if I'm a Texans fan in general. I absolutely agree with this one. I think that Deshaun Watson has had problems traditionally when Will Fuller has not been there, and that was even when DeAndre Hopkins was not the, was still there. This year, we haven't had that issue. Will Fuller has been relatively healthy most of the season, and it was kind of surprising. I had been waiting for him all season to basically have one of those weird issues. He had a hamstring issue that lingered all of last season and just kept knocking him out, knocking him out. And he hadn't played more than, I think, 11 games of a full season the entire year up to or uh, in any season that he had played. So it was very surprising that he's gotten through, I think this is now, what, week 12? So uh, basically 11 weeks of the season without having any real missed time. He had one game that he was kind of out for, and uh, the next game he wasn't as effective. But for the most part, he's been there and been the stud. So if this PED problem that he had, I, I think there are some bigger question marks, and I say this very much as a Will Fuller owner. I remember, and you and I are both Brewer fans, we remember uh, and this name is going to invoke a lot of negativity, but Ryan Braun and his MVP season that he stayed unusually healthy that year. And his talent was always popping off, but it was whether he could stay on the field. And for that one year, he was really um, healthy. I wonder if Will Fuller was that much healthier and that much more explosive because of that. I don't know. There's nothing to tell me otherwise. There is a lot of history with soft tissue injuries that would say if you don't if you have one and it starts lingering, that it's likely going to carry through the season. And he's got a lot of history with soft tissue injuries. So maybe he was just in a better conditioning program and maybe that just enhanced it. But there are some very big open questions and then throw in the fact that, one, he's going to be missing the first week of next season and two. We don't know where he's going to go in free agency. I think there's a lot of issues when you talk about the longevity or the long-term uh, fantasy implications of Will Fuller when it comes to Dynasty League that are somewhat concerning. He is too good. I mean, he's sitting at wide receiver four on the year to not keep, but you have to be concerned. And I don't think you're going to get full value in trading for him with how he's done this season. He's always been a talented receiver. It's always been a health issue. But now this brings in additional questions that you certainly didn't want to entertain. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about while watching this game is we the writing has been on the wall for Matt Patricia for a long time. In fact, I think there were, a lot of people were surprised he wasn't fired after last season because the Lions have been abysmal since he took over as head coach. The... Texans and the Falcons are the only two teams so far to have fired their coach in season. Both of those teams have kind of regrouped. The Falcons obviously is a game we're going to get to here in a second, and they had a, a very surprising blowout win at home this week. But I think they're six and three since they fired. Uh, maybe it's not even that six and one, maybe since uh, they fired Dan Quinn and. The uh, Texans have actually been pretty good after the first couple of games without Bill O'Brien. So we've seen this from a lot of teams that fire their coach in season as to how they respond. Usually they completely quit, especially when it's late on in the season, or they regroup. Which one of those do you see these Lions going to be? Because there are 
Uh, we've already mentioned DeAndre Swift. We've mentioned TJ Hawkinson. If you'd ever get Kenny Galladay back, there are fantasy re- relevant implications going forward for the Lions. Are they a regrouping team or a team that's just going to fold? Uh, I'm going to talk as, as a Packer fan and what I've known my entire life about the Detroit Lions, and I, I think they're going to fold. This is just a team from the top down that has just not run very well. I, I don't see that changing with an interim coach either. Like that franchise needs a culture change, just like a lot of the franchises um, in the division that Green Bay is in, like in the North. So, no, I, I don't I don't put I don't hold Detroit to the same standard that I hold Atlanta, at least Houston surprised me. And that just goes to show how good of a quarterback Deshaun Watson is. But I don't think the Lions are are a type of an organization like Atlanta. All right. And I know that they have a lot of running back friendly matchups coming up. I know that they're playing the Titans. They're playing the Packers. So if they do end up quitting, uh, that could very drastically affect how the playoff races go. But uh, we will obviously see them down the road. Let's go to the second game of the day, which was much less entertaining Uh, especially late on in the game, Washington takes it to the Cowboys. And frankly, even though this was close at halftime, it didn't really feel that way. I don't know if you got a different sense than I did. Uh, Antonio Gibson, who is currently, I think, running back five on the season right now, uh, partly because of this game, 115 yards. He gets a triplet of touchdowns, seven targets, five catches, 21 yards. McKissick, who we already mentioned, was barely used in this game. Uh, gets completely overshadowed. Two targets, two catches, 21 yards, one carry for six yards. Terry McLaurin, who got the majority of the receiving yards and the targets in this game, nine targets, seven catches, 92 yards. Now, on the other side of the ball, the two relevant Cowboys that we've been talking about for weeks, Ezekiel Elliott uh, had 10 carries for 32 yards, three targets, one catch for seven yards. I think he finished with under five fantasy points and it was absolutely abysmal if you started him. Uh, Amari Cooper got a long touchdown in this one, and I didn't end up starting him because I was concerned about this situation. But eight targets, six catches, 112 yards, and a touchdown, he ends up having over 20 points. Is Cooper more startable than Ezekiel Elliott right now? I mean, I think for sure you could make that argument. Initially, when I looked at it, I was like, I don't really believe that. But even you go back to last week, the game script kind of helped Zeke a little more. And I feel like that's why he had a bigger game, but still Amari Cooper had a pretty decent game even last week against um, the Vikings. Um, He still had six catches for 81 yards on seven targets. So they're making him a focus of the offense. So yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, Amari Cooper is a more startable player right now than Zeke. Well, I think that they're going to be in a lot of shootout games where the passing game work is going to end up getting a lot more targets, and they're going to have to take shots downfield. And I don't just see that benefiting Cooper, but he's also had a better track record of double-digit fantasy games since Dak went out. So I think if you're going to bank on one of these two guys, even though Zeke is getting by far the higher uh, amount of volume, I would say that Cooper's probably the guy because you've seen it a little bit more that I would be placing more trust in at the moment. And that's, that's hard to say for, especially for when are you drafted these guys? We still forget that Amari Cooper's a really good wide receiver when he's healthy and he's been 
unbelievably healthy this year. He usually has one injury that kind of lingers into the second half, and that's kind of cratered his value in some other years. But this year, for whatever reason, he's been healthy. So you take it with what you get, and if you have him, I guess uh, you look at the situation around you, but he's at least worth flex consideration going forward. Now, we mentioned Antonio Gibson and that he's running back five. The current running back four is another guy that we have often talked about in this discussion or our our regular weekly discussions, and that's James Robinson. Now, from where you got these two guys, I would say that right now them being the fourth and fifth best point getters at the running back position is, one, indicative of how weak the running back class has been all season, but also the fact that these guys have been absolute studs as we've gone forward. So which one of those two guys would you say is the better pick for fantasy MVP right now? I mean, over the course of the last five games, I think you could argue it's Antonio Gibson. Um, He's scored over 20 points three of the last five weeks. Um, He's at 645 rushing yards and double digit touchdowns. He's got 11 rushing touchdowns. You know, that's not even counting his receiving touchdowns that he has. Um, He is a whole heck of a lot better than I thought he was. I thought he'd be more of like a gadget guy at the next level, not really getting the amount of work that he's getting. And he had 20 carries against Dallas. You know, that being said, he tore Dallas up the last to the first time he played them too. Um, So maybe it's a Dallas thing. When I watch James Robinson, maybe it's just because he just goes about his business and just, turns out yards nothing is exciting about him but you can bank on him and you know maybe we do need to change our thinking on James Robinson a little bit more but yeah I think you could argue that Antonio Gibson is is creeping up there on on James Robinson for sure I'm gonna put a pin in this discussion on James Robinson because he's obviously going to come up here when we discuss that game but just to answer the question quickly I think it's Robinson and it's simply because the value to pick him up was lower. You got him off of waivers. And for anybody that was smart enough to go and, you know, pick him up or or do something else, I mean, I was one of the uh, stupid guys who tried to bank on Ryquel Armstead. That didn't work out. So, you know, it, it's a bit of luck. It's a bit of uh, situational um, luck as well. I, I really don't know how else to put it. James Robinson has been a stud for pretty much – from the get-go, and we're going to have this, let's put a pause in the discussion, but Robinson is a guy that uh, we need to reevaluate. So let's go to the Sunday games. The Titans win the rematch against the Colts, 45-26. to DeForest Buckner, who I already mentioned earlier, uh, was out for this game, and his loss clearly was a, a big difference in the Indianapolis defense. King Henry, 178 yards and three touchdowns. A.J. Brown continues to dominate six uh, total targets, four catches, 98 yards and a touchdown. Jonathan Taylor was out with COVID for this game. He has been now cleared. We already uh, talked about Mike nine targets, two catches, 28 yards. Uh, A T.Y. Hilton sighting was had five targets, four catches, 81 yards and a touchdown. So with Derrick Henry making this playoff push, I've already mentioned this a couple of times, or a couple of times, but the Titans' playoff schedule for fantasy playoffs, the Jaguars, the Lions, and the Packers, possibly the three worst running fantasy defenses in the league this season. 
I think it's possible that Derrick Henry will win you your league if you have him and you're going to make the playoffs. Thankfully, in our league, that will not be the case because I would be very, very, very scared. Is he in for a record fantasy playoff season? We've you we've both been harping on this the last couple of weeks. You know, as the season goes on, King Henry just gets stronger. Defenses get weaker. It gets colder. And that is somebody that you do not want to see running down your face. Yeah, uh, he is in for a monster couple of games. And as a Packer fan, I am not excited about having to face Derrick Henry. I think it's going to be a very, very ugly and frustrating game for us. Given what I know about the Packers and the Titans this year and how that game is going to end up being played, I fully imagine him to get like 30 carries and well over 200 yards in that game. I think it's possible that he ends up setting the single game rushing record over the next three weeks or so, four weeks. I don't know which team it'll be against, but it's going to be probably one of those three teams that we mentioned. I, I There's just something in me that says he's going to roll up like 300 yards on the ground and we'll have seen it coming because it's coming. It's bearing down on you like a freight train. All right, let's go to what was uh, quite possibly the most shocking result of the weekend. 43 to six, the Raiders lose at Atlanta. And frankly, if you had watched this game, other than the scoreline, it really didn't feel like either team was playing that well. It's just, for whatever reason, the Atlanta defense got the better of the opportunities that they had. They ended up making the plays that they really needed on defense, where the Raiders just stunk in every single aspect of the game. Uh, Josh Jacobs did get hurt in the third quarter of this one uh, with an ankle injury. He left it after seven carries for 27 yards, three catches for 17 yards. I do like the fact that he's still being included in the passing game the last few weeks. And it does sound like he will be available in a key matchup against the Jets. But if you are a Josh Jacobs owner, you definitely need to be adding Devin Booker this week. Or, excuse me, Devontae Booker. Devin Booker's uh, for the Phoenix Suns. Getting into NBA mode a little too early already. But against the Jets' run defense, I, I would definitely expect whomever is going to be the lead back for the Raiders to get a lot of work and for them to really reset their tone. I think part of this was traveling across country after having such a tough game against the Chiefs the week before. One of the few bright spots for the the Raiders offense was Hunter Renfro again, who is becoming the new Cole Beasley. Nine targets, seven catches, 73 yards in this one. The Falcons are clearly a different offense, and you said it last week, so I'll give you the credit for this one. But Julio not being on the field, they're just a different offense. Even so, Calvin Ridley had nine targets, six catches, 50 yards and a touchdown kind of bailed out at the end, and they did adequately run on the ground without Todd Gurley. Ito Smith and Brian Hill fill in with 110 yards on the ground and a touchdown. But let's just face it, the Falcons have been a much different team since Dan Quinn left the organization, and Raheem Morris was once a coach with the Buccaneers who kind of had a rough go of it, but some of these guys sometimes in their second stint end up figuring it out. Is Raheem Morris coaching himself into a job? Yeah, I mean, I think so. He's done everything right. You know what I mean? Like, he's put them in a position to at least flirt with the playoffs. I don't really exactly remember how that division is going. Yeah, I mean, but what he's done there is nothing short, you know, amazing for how they started. 
and it's crazy because you think morale would be so low too because they were they were so down and everything looked so bad um and for him to rally everyone together to get them where they are is really really a testament to who he is and who he is as a coach and you said it before too you know sometimes their second stint is a little bit better goes a little bit better you know he went back to being an assistant so he might have learned some more things what to do what not to do and all that other fun stuff so yeah i think it would be a really, really easy decision for Arthur Blank and the brass to be like, yeah, let's let's give this guy a shot. You know, what do we have to lose to go from earlier on in the year where it was like we're selling everybody to now where it's like, OK, OK, we're at least doing a little bit of something that has to at least make you feel good. You know, he's doing all the right things. I can think of two three pretty good coaches that have uh, won Super Bowls after getting their second or third shot. Pete Carroll, uh, Andy Reid, and uh, a guy named Bill Belichick? I, Belichick. I think that's his name. Yeah. Belichick. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Is this a game we should consider as kind of a mulligan for the Raiders? We just don't draw anything on it because there, there's really nothing here. I mean, the, the lone exception I might draw from it is that Darren Waller continues uh, to not really be featured in most games where they're not throwing the ball, but... Even that, I, I don't know if I'm going to extrapolate anything huge from this game. Yeah, I mean, he, as a coach, for sure. It's one of those games where it's like, all right, we burn the film. We forget it ever happened. We move on to the next week. You know, take what you need to take from what you have, but don't dwell on it too much. As you said, they were in a really tough game the week before, had to go across country, and they got their ass kicked. It is what it is. Move on to the next one. I, I wouldn't put too much stock into it. And if there's a team you want to face in order to have that get-right game, it's probably the Jets. All right, so let's move to Chargers and Bills. The Chargers lose on the road in Buffalo 17-27. to Justin Herbert, again, goes for over 300 yards passing. Uh, part of it ends in the fact that uh, he had a Hail Mary complete at the end of the game, but 316 yards, a touchdown, one interception. But the big story for the Chargers, Austin Eckler's return he ends up with 14 carries for 44 yards, but also 16 targets, 11 catches, and 85 yards in the air. Hunter Henry also finishes with 10 targets, 7 catches, and 67 yards. Josh Allen, 157 yards in the air, one touchdown, one interception, nine carries, 32 yards, and a touchdown. Devin Singletary, oddly, he makes an appearance in this game, 82 yards on the ground, three catches, 20 yards. Stephon Diggs had a good target and reception day, but not in the yardage department. Nine targets, seven catches, 39 yards. So with Josh Allen kind of being down the last few weeks, uh, he's been a guy who started hot this season that we were all over, and all of a sudden he's just kind of been up and down. Is he still a lockable number one starter? Depending on who you got on your bench, I would say no. You know, and... We it's funny how even we have ridden the roller coaster of Josh Allen beginning of the year, at least for me, I guess I'm not going to speak for you. At least for me, I was like, eh, Josh Allen, he's he is what he is. And then he was doing his thing. And I remember I apologized to Josh Allen for being such an ass. And now it's gotten back down to the point where it's like, well, is Josh Allen really who we think he is? He's still really young in this league. You know, I. If I'm not giving up on him, I guess is what I'm saying. I, but I know I don't think he's still a lockable starter. 
I think what you said there was exactly right. For especially where you got him, it's possible that you drafted multiple quarterbacks and that you might have another guy that you can kind of stream in and out. Uh, in our particular league, I know the guy that owns him also has Aaron Rodgers, and we had a discussion on Sunday night that he's basically just going to ride Rodgers through the rest of the playoffs, especially with the uh, offensively favorable matchups that are going to have moving forward, the Eagles, uh, the Panthers, the Lions, you know, the, the Titans, that I would probably agree with him that Rodgers is probably the better bet, but as the long-term guy, you're definitely not giving up on Josh Allen. He's showed too much talent, and they have too many guys for that to be different. I just think this is a, a weird situation where the Bills just are a different team when John Brown is on the field, and I, I think that this offense is just that much better when they have that guy to really stretch the field because Josh Allen has possibly the biggest arm in the league, uh, and I, I don't mean that as an understatement. I, I think it's quite possible. So... The other guy that I mentioned a little bit before, and this has been a constant theme throughout the fantasy season, is what guys are usable at tight end past Travis Kelsey. But Hunter Henry has three weeks consecutively of double-digit points. He got 10 targets, 7 catches in this one for that 67 yards. Where does he currently rank on your list of tight ends that are usable moving forward through the fantasy playoffs? I think safely top seven. But for me, I feel like I would put him in my top five. You know, we talked about it, or I talked about it last week, because I think you asked a question about him last week. He would be a much bigger name, a much more well-known name, if he didn't suffer the types of injuries that he had earlier on in his career. He's very, very productive, quiet and productive, goes about his business. I, I for sure, I have him in my top five. So we've mentioned Waller already just a, a minute ago as being another guy that's a go-to. Before this game where Lamar Jackson was out, Mark Andrews was in that conversation. I would probably venture to say, because Andrews has been doing a little bit more consistently this year, that is probably Kelsey, then a, a gap, then Andrews, then a slight gap, and then you have probably any of these three in any order. Henry, Goddard, and Hawkinson moving forward in that in that tight end discussion in some kind of order. And then you have after that just a hodgepodge of guys that um, some will be in a different matchup or some are streamable, guys that you would pick up and hope that they get into the end zone because they have a good matchup that week. You know, an Eric Ebron, uh, Jordan Reed, um, maybe an Evan Ingram after he had a big week this week in a game we're going to get to here in a second. You know, those are the types of guys that I would uh, say that they, are, they have the ability to have a huge game, but you're not likely to see it. And it's usually going to be once in a blue moon. So, and then finally, we got the resurgence of Austin Eckler. A lot of people had him as a top 15 pick this year. He was a top 10 back coming into the season. And he is now back. He had a huge game at, as far as usage rate and the amount of touches he was getting. Uh, there were reports going into the game that he was going to be sparsely used. That did not seem to hold up. If they're going to give him this level of volume with the quarterback now situation being set with Justin Herbert, what do you expect from Austin Eckler as we move into the fantasy playoffs? Is he a guy that could be a sudden league winner? I feel like um, Austin Eckler is going to be on a lot of championship teams this year. Um, his snap rate for the first uh, three weeks, average was about 65 percent 
Week 12, his snap rate was 73%. They're going to use this guy. He's healthy. They feel like he's healthy enough to take on a full workload. He got 11 catches out of the backfield, 16 targets. That's crazy. You know, and I, I think it's going to be steady. I feel like you can expect seven to 10 targets out of the backfield for him. So, yeah, he's going to be on a lot of championship teams this year, which what I said makes Tim's team even more scary. That offense is going to be scary. I mean, you've got if they're all healthy, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, Hunter Henry. I mean, even their second and third backs aren't like terrible and held them up for most of the year. If they get their offensive line fully healthy, the only thing really holding them back has been their defense. And they can spend some of that capital they have in the draft to kind of work on that. I I think this is a, a team that could have a very quick turnaround, depending on who ends up being in charge of that team going forward. All right, let's go to the Giants and Bengals. This was somewhat of a surprising game, but not ultimately, because the Giants have had a lot of ugly games this year. But you wouldn't have expected the Bengals to keep it quite this close uh, in their first true game without Joe Burrow. Daniel Jones does leave hurt at the end of the game, and we haven't heard his complete status, at least that I'm aware of, yet moving forward. So take some of the Giants' stats with a grain of salt. But Wayne Gallman had 94 yards on the ground and a touchdown in this one. He, Evan Engram has his breakout game of the year, the one that uh, always uh, keeps you basically floating around on him. Uh, nine targets, six catches, 129 yards. T. Higgins, despite Joe Burrow being gone, five catches for 44 yards and a touchdown. So I do ask the question, and some of what I said was in jest because I, I know you own Evan Engram. Is this a resurgence? Because the Giants have actually been looking a little bit better offensively. Daniel Jones has been looking better. Or So is this a one-time thing, or is this a sign of things to come? You know, hopefully it's a sign of things to come, but it's really hard to put your faith and trust in something like that. That being said, the Giants have really tried to feature Evan Ingram more and more each week this year, especially in the running game as well. You know, he's good for about two or three carries this year as well, ends arounds. He's had a couple touchdowns off those too. He's too talented of a receiving talent, you know, to be used the way that they're using him. For me, I would line him up on, you know, line him up in, inside. You know, you could even play him in the slot as well. But him and linebackers every day should just be easy money. Uh, short drags, even, you know, crosses around the field, stuff where they have to chase him around. And it's it's crazy to me that they're not using him more effectively. But that being said, you know, it, it, it is getting better. So hopefully they're starting to figure it out. And like you said, the offense has been playing better. It's just hard to put your faith in something like that when he's let you down so many times, especially this year. This year it's been, it's been pretty bad. The last couple of years for Evan Ingram – He's been pretty good. Uh, This year has been pretty frustrating, though. The raw talent has always been there, and I'm encouraged by the way the Giants have looked a little bit recently, where they seem to have started to figure a few things out, that this coaching staff is starting to have an effect, that they're kind of rounding a little bit into form. And I'm, I'm not sure they're done as a product, but... He really starts to remind me of uh, another tight end with a lot of raw talent who never completely put it together. And he had really one distinct good fantasy season. That's Eric Ebron. I I think they're very similar players, and that scares me a little bit. Where 
I really need to see it at this point. He's getting to the point where it's shit or get off the pot. I mean, and truthfully, he's had some good moments. He's had some really um, great times, but now we need to see it on a more consistent basis or I'm just, I'm ready to cut the cord. Now, I mentioned Wayne Gallman a minute ago. Is he not only a must-roster prospect at this point? I mean, he's had a number of games with a decent yard output and uh, at least the goal line carries. Uh, usually he's gotten into the end zone, I think, the last three weeks consecutively. But is he worthy of true playoff flex consideration? Now, here's, I'll just give you this. His last five games. 14 points, 13 points, 14 points, 18.5, and 17 points. Yeah, I mean, he really made you forget about Devontae Freeman, right? Remember when everyone was, especially waivers too, everyone was really excited to get Devontae Freeman. Wayne Gallman has been very steady. You know, he's not going to blow you away, but you can count on his double-digit points each and every week. If he's out there, one, yeah, he should be on a roster everywhere. And two, I feel like you could be safe as a flex option for you that he's going to get you the 10 to 15 points consistently. This is a guy that with that amount of consistency and being the feature guy with Devontae Freeman being out, Saquon Barkley's been out for most of the year at this point. And we're really not getting fill-ins from other guys. Plus is his effectiveness at this point. Now, I think some of this might dip if Daniel Jones is out for a bit of time. So just be cautious on that. But if Daniel Jones is back and healthy, he's quietly been an asset for the Giants in a playoff push that the Giants have somehow put together simply because nobody else really apparently wants to win the NFC least. So I think with them pushing for that playoff consideration, his work rate is going to be high. And I haven't necessarily looked at their schedule, but he is a guy that I would be considering at minimum in flex consideration. He possibly would get RB2 consideration if he continues to put up at this level. So I think it's tentative for this week. Wait through this week, probably unless you need to win the game in order to get into your playoffs. But he's a guy I'd be very heavily considering uh, starting when it comes to playoff time because He's certainly not going to uh, lose you your matchup. He could even potentially win your matchup if he just gets a little bit more efficiency, like falls into the end zone twice instead of just the one time. Let's go to Panthers at Vikings. The Panthers lose this one late, even despite two defensive touchdowns on consecutive plays, no less. 27 to 28, the Vikings have a lot of uh, offensive firepower besides Adam Thielen because he was not in this game. Justin Jefferson, 13 targets, 7 catches, 70 yards, 2 touchdowns. Cousins, surprisingly, over 300 yards yet again in 3 touchdowns. But because they were down and the game script was a little bit different, Delvin might have had one of his worst outputs of the year. 61 yards on the ground, 4 catches, 21 yards. He still got you the double-digit fantasy points that you were looking for, but it wasn't the big weeks we've seen from our uh, favorite Delvin. So... Panthers did have two defensive touchdowns, like I mentioned before. Robbie Anderson, seven targets, four catches, 94 yards, and a touchdown. Again, DJ Moore with kind of an up-and-down season, nine targets, but only four catches and 61 yards. He does leave hurt at the end of this game. I haven't heard anything further as to his status going forward. I'm sure we'll have more in our preview episode. Mike Davis uh, continues to put up at least adequate numbers to keep the Panthers in it. 
despite Christian McCaffrey being out. We don't know when he will be back. There's still no timetable scheduled for him. 55 yards on the ground, six targets, three catches, 24 yards. And a guy who I would expect to see an increase if DJ Moore is truly hurt, Curtis Samuel, who's been kind of a odd fantasy darling the last few weeks, only five catches and 72 yards. So if DJ Moore misses time, do you possibly elevate the status of Curtis Samuel and Robbie Anderson, who, even though they've had good seasons, could possibly see uh, much bigger outputs with one less guy to compete with? As a DJ Moore owner, I'm angry at Teddy Bridgewater twice. First, because this is he's so inconsistent, you know, and and he and he kills the value of of a DJ Moore. And two, he got DJ Moore hurt. You know, I know it was non-contact and everything like that, but DJ Moore was wide open and he skied it over the top of him. So he had to jump forward and came down, landed awkwardly, like. It's so it's it's super frustrating, you know, as a DJ Moore owner. But yes, I think this does elevate Curtis Samuel and Robbie Anderson. But I think it does for me. I think it elevates Curtis Samuel a little bit more. I think Robbie Anderson is going to do a little. They're going to ask him to do a little bit more of the things that um, they're asking DJ Moore to do, which is a little bit further down the field. And we know that that's not Teddy Bridgewater's favorite thing in the world to do. So you're going to have Curtis Samuel doing probably a lot, a couple more things out of the backfield, and then a lot of the underneath stuff as well, catch and run. So, yeah, I think they're both going to elevate, but I think this helps Curtis Samuel more than anybody. There was a question that was asked between uh, Mike Florio and Peter King in a segment I was watching on Pro Football Today, I think, and they basically asked the question because this is essentially what the Vikings did. Would you rather have Stefan Diggs or Justin Jefferson over the next five years? I think for me and what you've already seen from Justin Jefferson at such a young age, I feel like you have to take Justin Jefferson, at least for the Vikings. You know, you don't miss Stefan Diggs. You know, you might have been bummed that he was leaving, wondering, you know, who is going to come in and take the spot and seeing Justin Jefferson here. You're like, well, Stefan Diggs is gone now. It's okay, We have him. Justin Jefferson, I feel like, can probably do a little bit more as well, you know, inside and outside. So I'm going to go Justin Jefferson. I think you would have been laughed out of the room had you said this at the beginning of the year. But maybe the and maybe this is still somewhat of a controversial opinion. I think Justin Jefferson might be a better player than Stefan Diggs already. I know that Diggs has put up the bigger numbers and. Part of that is the fact that he's just gotten a higher volume. But if you're asking me a guy that I can build at the wide receiver position around, I don't think even out of this rookie class with as many good players as we've had. Now, part of it is the CD lamb hasn't gotten the same opportunity since Dak has been out. So maybe this discussion would be a little bit different, but Jerry Judy's on a team where, I mean, they didn't even feature a quarterback this weekend. T Higgins, his quarterback just went out with a knee injury and we don't know when he's going to be back. And even then, if you gave all of these guys the same quarterback, I'm wondering if Justin Jefferson might be the best out of this entire class, which is somewhat shocking to me. I would not have called that. I don't think anybody would have called that. And the the Vikings really somehow won out here. And it's really surprising to me how well this has turned out for them um, just on the whole. All right, let's move to... Another surprising game on the weekend, another ugly matchup. 
The Cardinals lose on the road at the Patriots, 17 to 20. Kyler Murray has his worst game of the year, 170 passing yards, one interception, five carries for 31 yards, and he was really favoring his shoulder all game, uh, being very conscious of it. So I wonder how much that is kind of eaten into his mental game. So, but something to just monitor. Uh, Kenyon Drake, however, 78 yards rushing, two touchdowns, three catches for 15 yards. New Hopkins, though, uh, again, this is his third out of the last four weeks with less than 10 points total, five catches for 55 yards. We also had two odd rushing touchdowns by James White. Cam only had 84 yards passing and two interceptions, and they yet somehow win the game. So I don't know what you can really draw from the Patriots in this one. I guess if anything I'm going to take from this, are you really worried about Kyler Murray and Nuke Hopkins, given especially the decline in the last couple of games and the fact that Nuke's best game really only came by the fact that he had a 50-yard Hail Mary catch at the end of one of these last four games? Nah, I'm not too worried about it, and I have both of these guys. With Kyler, I think a lot of it had to do, too, with they didn't ask him to run the ball as much. I think the coaching staff and the scheme this past weekend was, let's try to get out of here and not have Kyler be more injured than he already is. With Nuke, he is going up against the um, defending defensive player of the year, and he really didn't run too many routes that were past 10 yards. You know, the, everything that he caught was kind of shallow towards the sideline, eight to 10 to 12 yard little dink and dunks. So I don't really think they ask him to do all that much. You know, with Nuke, I'm a little bit more worried than with Kyler, but even so, I'm I'm not too, I'm not too concerned. But, you know, their playoff schedule isn't great. You know, they play, so I was looking at it, I don't remember who it is off the top of my head, but they got some tougher matchups come playoff time too, but these are still two of the best at their position in the game, and you you ride with your studs and you go down with your studs. So they're for me, they're going to be in my lineup every single week, and if that's how I lose, hey man, I just lost to a team that was just doing a little bit better, but those are guys that I'm going to go down swinging with. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I mean, these guys are both top five at their position for the entire year. It's just that the last few weeks, if I were owning them, I'd be a little bit concerned. I mean, given what they've output and we kind of outlined it a second ago, I don't I think the biggest limiting factor up until uh, Kyler's injury, which does concern me because I think he's not going to be running as much, which has been a huge part of his value. I don't think they're also going to be throwing the field or down the field nearly as much, which affects both of them. But the biggest drawback to the entire Cardinals fantasy output has always been their coaching. I don't think their scheme is very good. And most of the time they've relied on Kyler just doing these ridiculous, uh, almost uh, magician-like things with the ball. And with him being potentially hurt, that really limits their ability to do a whole lot. I, I don't know if it's going to continue because, again, these are both top five players at their position. You would think that at some point they have a chance to break out again, but given the last few weeks, I'd be very, very nervous. No, absolutely. Sorry, actually. They don't have that bad of a playoff schedule. So I don't remember who I was looking at. They play the Giants, Philadelphia, and San Francisco. Leading up, I guess, you know, you, you kind of just ride with it. I hear what you're saying. You know, 
especially at the beginning of the year, New Hopkins, you know, he was getting the first four games of the year, he was getting about 10 targets a game. You know, he's still sitting around eight or seven, um, but he's not getting nearly as much work as he was getting at the beginning of the year. I think a lot, a little bit of that has to do with uh, Christian Kirk coming back as well. But you thought too, you know, and I think my underrated stead of the week, I think I did Christian Kirk, right? Because Larry Fitzgerald was out, and I just felt like, you know, with uh, Stefan Gilmore shadowing Nuke Hopkins, you know, it would just opened up. It would have a prime position for him, but, you know, even he didn't show up. It was just a really shitty game all around. I don't know if I would say that's a good playoff schedule. Those are a lot of teams that really muck up the game and make things ugly for everybody, so... I, I, it's not like the worst playoff schedule, but it's probably middle of the pack at, at best. All right, let's go to a game that I don't really want to spend a ton of time on. The Dolphins win 20-3 to over the Jets. Devontae Parker with Ryan Fitzpatrick starting. 14 targets, 8 catches, 119 yards. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 257 yards passing, 2 touchdowns. Frank Gore, 74 yards on the ground, 3 catches for 12 yards. The ageless wonder. Denzel Mims, eight targets, four catches, 67 yards. Brashad Perriman, eight targets, four catches, 79 yards. I guess if there's anything to take away from this, and frankly, if you're starting a jet, I mean, what's wrong with you? I mean, like, your your team's got to be near the bottom, legitimately, in order to start a jet at this point. But this is a guy that has had a bit of a streaky season, partly due to the quarterback play around him. If you know that Ryan Fitzpatrick is starting, which uh, Brian Flores has said, if Tua is healthy, he's our guy. But if you know that Ryan Fitzpatrick is starting, do you think Devontae Parker is a bankable starter? I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is, um, he's a better NFL quarterback right now. And by that, I mean, he understands the offense. He understands defenses. He's more acclimated to the speed of the game. And I think he's just better for offenses right now. Tua is a better player and will be a better player. We all know that. Um, but with 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 Fitz, I, I would feel much more confident starting a Devontae Parker than with Tua. Absolutely. I, I think the question was answered in the question itself. And if you know that Ryan Fitzpatrick is starting, which on most weeks you're likely not going to, then you might be able to ride Devontae Parker. But until that point, to me, he is a hold as a wide receiver right now more than anything else. And I think I like Devontae Parker in a situation where Tua develops and the game slows down for him, but he hasn't had as many opportunities as somebody like Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert to really make his mark in the league yet. And he looks like the speed is too much for him at the moment. So let's go to the Browns and Jaguars. The Browns pull this one out. They are going to have their first winning record since 2007, 27 to 25. Nick Chubb, 144 yards on the ground, a touchdown, three catches, 32 yards. As we mentioned before, Kareem Hunt, 10 carries, 62 yards, had a great efficiency rating, but zero catches. Uh, I think he only got one target in this game. Jarvis Landry, though, also had a huge game, 11 targets, 8 catches, 143 yards, and a touchdown, kind of going back to his ways uh, pre-Odell Beckham Jr., and then the guy that just keeps impressing me week after week after week, James Robinson, 128 yards on the ground, a touchdown, 
Six targets, five catches, 31 yards. Huge fantasy day. The weird standout from the receiver room was a guy that was in this receiver class who I liked when he played at the University of Texas, a big-bodied, fast, wide receiver, but I don't think they've ever really completely used him correctly. Eight targets, four catches, 96 yards, and a touchdown for Colin Johnson. So we've kind of already hinted at it. We put a pin in this discussion, but I'm going to give you my thoughts on James Robinson here for a second. I think we're getting to the point where he is not just the volume guy, but I think he's that good. And the Jaguars clearly are not going to spend like a first or second round pick on a running back this year because they have so many other needs to build on their team. I think this guy is going to be the feature back in that system next year because he's just been that good. And for the value that the Jaguars are getting from having him on the roster for being able to pay him low and that they can ride this out, he may be a guy that's fantasy relevant for two, maybe three years before the Jaguars end up making a switch. So I'm getting off of the unsureness going into next season, but what do you think? 110% I agree with you. I think especially, you know, if this is any instance, you know, they, they ran the hell out of him. And now he's getting more and more involved in the passing game as well. They're not paying basically, you know, anything for him. I feel like they're going to run his ass into the ground, get as much as they can out of him. And then, yeah, when they're a little bit better, they're going to spend the the money on or the assets, I guess, on on a running back. But, yeah, I think he's going to be a viable option for you for for sure for the next two to three years get what you can out of him. You know, I, I still think he's one of those guys you want to trade him while the stock is high. And then you're going to be a little bit sad when you see how successful he still is. But ultimately I think at the end of it, in a couple of years, you're going to be happy. You made the trade depending on what you got back. But you know, yeah, I I'm for sure off of the unsure. And I am for sure thinking that he's going to be a pretty decent play for the next couple of years. Now the one disappointment for the game was Kareem Hunt, who we've already kind of talked about. At one point this season, and he's still the 11th highest running back this season, but he has clearly taken a step back now that, uh, or excuse me, Nick Chubb has been featured. Nick Chubb ended up having more targets, more receptions in this game, and is becoming more of the feature back. Now, the Browns have been running the ball a lot, but they're also now starting to run a lot more play action off of it. They're getting Jarvis Landry more involved. And I'm starting to be concerned that Kareem Hunt has not moved just from a running back two, from a running back one, but possibly even lower than that, that he's maybe starting to get into the flex consideration and possibly depending on the week might be benchable. Do you feel the same? Wow. Um, I guess I'm not that far on down on him yet. You know, I Nick Chubb is doing his thing. You you got to admit Nick Chubb is doing his thing and he's doing it really really well. So I understand why Kareem Hunt isn't getting as much work. But to think about, you know, him not even being there in a lineup is kind of crazy with as much as Cleveland likes to run the ball. But I mean, you're you're the you you're a Kareem Hunt owner, so I guess this is in the mind of a Kareem Hunt owner. Had he not gotten into the end zone last week on an incredibly athletic play, he would have finished under 10 points, I think, the last three weeks uh, total. 
And when you're not getting production out of a guy, and again, he's the second running back on the team. Part of this may be that he had to fill in and do the complete workload for all the weeks that Nick Chubb was out. And maybe this would be a much more even time split if Nick Chubb weren't basically fresh or energetic because he missed half the season. But it does concern me that the Browns have basically bought into the, we're going to give Nick Chubb as many carries as we possibly can and ride him almost like Derrick Henry light. And with them making a playoff push, I would expect them to lean into that even more. The only redeeming quality is that early on in the season, Kareem Hunt was the receiving down back. And even now you can't always count on that given the catching stats that were coming out of this game. Maybe this is a one-off. I'm still starting him because I don't have a ton of other options in either league. I have him in both leagues and I like Kareem Hunt. I think he's incredibly talented. But right now, Nick Chubb is fresher, healthier, and uh, more effective. Even though Hunt had a good efficiency rating, I just, I'm concerned, to say the least. You know, what I do have to say about Nick Chubb, and this is just because I remember it, I was completely wrong about him. You asked me if he was going to go over 120 yards, and I said I didn't think so. Uh, He did that. He did that. All right. Um, Another game I don't want to spend a ton of time on because, frankly, the Broncos were forced into an incredibly difficult situation. They had more interceptions than completions. The first team to do so since the 98 Chargers. Taysom Hill, 78 yards passing only, uh, or one interception, 44 yards on the ground and two touchdowns. But Latavius Murray, 124 yards, two touchdowns. Michael Thomas, for what he did get, was the top target on their offense, even though they didn't throw the ball much, six catches for, or excuse me, six targets, four catches, 50 yards. Alvin Kamara, 54 yards on the ground, zero catches. This has been kind of following the trend with Taysom Hill in for Drew Brees, and with Drew Brees likely being out until the NFL playoffs, are you worried about Alvin Kamara and his value moving forward? Absolutely. The thing that made Alvin Kamara so, so exciting and so, and arguably, arguably the number one running back in fantasy, whether, you know, if Christian McCaffrey is healthy or not, was his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield and how versatile of a player that he was. And you're right. This is following a trend now with Taysom Hill at quarterback. He's not getting that same receiving work out of the backfield and especially in PPR leagues. This is super frustrating for you if you have Alvin Kamara because you spent a lot of capital on him for his versatility, you know. Um, so, yeah, I I would be frustrated as hell right now. And you're right. You know, you're probably not going to have Drew Brees as as a quarterback at all in the fantasy playoffs. So it's 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 not a good it's not a good look. I am very, very worried that they're not going to be dumping the ball off to him. One of the things that was great about Alvin Kamara this season was he was the leading receiver on the Saints. He's just not, I don't even think he got more than like two targets in this game, let alone the zero catches. So it's not like he's just missing the opportunity or this was a weird one-off. And this has been three or four weeks now coming. So I'm very, very concerned about uh, having him be one of the guys I'm really relying on going into the playoffs. It, it's not a great look. The other guy that I have a level of concern over, and it's not just for this season, but his prospects long-term. 
had you told me going into the year that Michael Thomas, the clear cut number one wide receiver who set the receiving or excuse me, receptions mark last season uh, for an NFL season, he has been hurt most of the season. We've only seen one major game with him getting a huge amount of targets. It was last week with Taysom Hill at quarterback, but with the possibility that Drew Brees is not long for this league anymore, what do you think his value is long term? I think that this hurts Michael Thomas's value a lot, you know, in the long term. Not in the, the future of Drew Brees has a lot to do with it. You don't know who's coming in, and they're not going to have, you know, one of those early round draft picks where they can take one of these top young quarterbacks as well. You could trade if you wanted to, you know, and then if Drew Brees does retire, you do have that cap space so you can go out and get a, a free agent quarterback, but it's the uncertainty. And then obviously there's nothing you can do because the trade deadline passed and you got to hold on to him now to see what happens. But if I'm a Michael Thomas owner, I'm not, I'm not extremely happy and thrilled about what the next couple of years are going to look like. It's going to be full of uncertainty. I like his ability after the catch that he's a good short yardage receiver. He's going to be able to get a ton of balls if he's in the right system. But with all of these question marks, I don't think you're going to get adequate value back for him for what he should command. So at this point, I I just basically look at him as a long-term hold and hope. And that's the best you're going to do right now. Let's go to 49ers at the Rams. They pull off the upset in this one. Uh, After the Rams had that big win against uh, the Buccaneers in Tampa, they lose to the 49ers 23-20. Seven total turnovers in this game, including a defensive scoop and score for the Rams defense. Uh, I will say, pick up the Rams D if you need a fantasy defense, and they're available. They have Arizona, New England, the Jets, and Seattle as their next four games. Two of those games early on in the playoffs, like, those are juicy matchups to be having for a team that's clicking a lot on defense. But Debo Samuel, 13 targets, 11 catches, 133 yards. Raheem Mostert does come back for 43 yards and a touchdown. If you've held on to him this long, you may get rewarded yet. They have some decent uh, running back matchups as we move along. Robert Woods, 12 targets, 7 catches for 80 yards. And then the ever-elusive Cam Akers, 61-yard absolute burst. Oh, it was so lovely to see that as a Cam Akers owner who's held him all season and was hoping his fantasy value would emerge. Nine carries, 84 yards, and a touchdown. He clearly looked like the best back last weekend. Even though Darrell Henderson and Malcolm Brown combined for 17 carries and or targets and only 38 yards, they were still out snapping him. I think that's going to change as things go forward. So maybe that's me being hopeful or projective. I know you thought Akers was going to take over the backfield at some point. So let's get the non subjective uh, opinion and get a little bit more objectivity. Do you think Akers is finally taking over this backfield? Um, I don't want to bust your balls or anything like that because we both know how high I am on Cam Akers and what I think he can be as a professional football player. But you said it yourself. He had one carry for 61 yards, right? But he ended the day with only 84 yards. That means he had eight carries for about 20 yards. It's a 2.5 average. It isn't great. He only did that on 17 carries. Yes. 
But that being said, I do think he needs to be the feature back. I think he needs to be the guy that's getting the majority of the carries and the majority of the snaps. Stop playing this bullshit. Like, he is your guy. I, I don't understand why they're, they're making this so difficult or into such a show. Like, give the dude the ball and watch him do what he does. You know, on that 61-yard rush, it was very, very beautiful, but the blocking on that play was set up really nicely. I don't think he was touched until about 10 to 15 yards down the field. And even then, it was just like a hand as he was running through. So I think Cam Akers is the best back. I've said Cam Akers was the best back, and I think they need to start treating him like he's the best back. But I want to temper your your expectations and your excitement just a little bit because he did have that one really, really big run. I am definitely tempering my expectations for this week. I am not going to start him, but if he has a increased workload, again, that was 17 snaps, yeah. not carries, so I do want to just make that slight correction. Right. Had he got 17 carries, I think he would have finished over 100 yards. But this is the second week that he's gotten into the end zone, that he's gotten a little bit more work. He's clearly got the most energy and burst of all three of those backs and looks like the most talented guy. And we've been waiting for somebody to really emerge in this. The Rams offensive line has been pretty good all season, and they clearly need somebody to be a threat on that side of the ball as they move toward the playoffs. I think they would be crazy not to start featuring him more if he's going to be the hot-handed guy. So if we get into a situation where he has a decent game against Arizona and his workload ticks up, I'm very heavily considering that I might have to start him against New England, against the Jets, against Seattle, which are three really good matchups as we go into the playoffs. He could be a odd guy that comes out of nowhere and all of a sudden has this huge fantasy playoffs, wins you your league, and all of a sudden he's a guy that's maybe a running back two going into next year. The other guy that I really want to highlight is Debo, who came back this week. He had 13 targets and 11 catches for that 133 yards. A lot of it was behind the line of scrimmage, short yardage. They got him the ball in a lot of creative ways, and we've known that about Debo for a long time, but he's almost becoming quarterback-proof. And I wonder if he's healthy. Is he potentially a wide receiver one in your book? There's so many good wide receivers in this league. There's so many good wide receivers. It's hard for me to be to definitively be like, yes, I think Debo Samuel is going to be is the number one wide receiver. I think he's a high end two, but I, it's tough for me to put him in the wide receiver one category. So I, I just want to pump the brakes a little bit. I think he's clearly in the wide receiver two situation. But you think about the other guys that are going to be on the team when they're fully healthy. They're, they're a run-first offense that also has George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk, who have both been good, if not great, at different points this year. And if they're a fully healthy offense, I don't know how much of a target share he's going to get. This was crazy volume for this one week. But how much are they going to be featuring that when they have another guy who's kind of a similar type of player in Brandon Ayuk, or when George Kittle, who's a volume-heavy tight end, also gets back into the mix? So I think there are plenty of guys that I would choose above him, but he's a guy that I'm definitely starting if he's fully healthy, because the 49ers really like to get him the ball in a lot of different ways. 
Let's go to what was my game of the week last week, the Chiefs and Buccaneers. The Chiefs win on the road 27-24. to They hold on late in a game that got closer, but in the early going, we thought the Chiefs were clearly going to blow this one out because Tyreek Hill had possibly the game of his life, 203 yards receiving in the first quarter. I mean, that's ridiculous. For the full game, he had 15 targets, 13 catches, 269 yards, and three touchdowns. He didn't quite make the 55-point club, uh, which there are only like seven guys to ever do it, and Jerry Rice did it twice. So, like, just so you understand how ridiculous that is. But Travis Kelsey, again, puts in a workman-like day, eight catches, 82 yards. Patrick Mahomes just doing Patrick Mahomes things. He does not have bad games. Tom Brady, 345 yards, three touchdowns, but two costly picks, especially in the red zone. Rob Gronkowski, who you and I both were really against this year, that he could come back and do it. Seven targets, six catches, 106 yards. Chris Godwin, who I think got hurt in this game. I haven't heard a lot of great reports on this one yet, but uh, nine targets, eight catches, 97 yards. Uh, He pretty much led the way in that department. Mike Evans, uh, nine targets, three catches, 50 yards, and two touchdowns. And Ronald Jones, another great game, 66 yards on the ground, a touchdown, 37 yards in the air on one catch for a touchdown. That was a great play by him uh, streaking up the sideline, keeping inbounds. So Tyreek Hill has been a top five wide receiver when uh, available, and Patrick Mahomes is his quarterback the last three years. But is he the number one wideout currently in fantasy? That's tough for me to say yes to because he had such a huge day and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers played him so stupid. Why the heck would you have him in single man coverage? Why would you cover Tyreek Hill like that? It's so stupid. He's really, really explosive. He's really, really fun. He has one of the best or he has the best quarterback in the league. I don't know if he's wide receiver is the number one wide receiver for me. I mean, you could argue it and I would listen to the argument, but for me, I guess I just don't think he's the wide receiver one. I think this has come down to one thing in our league. I do feature big play bonuses. And so Tyreek Hill gets a little bit more of a value in that department where he's going to hit on a lot of these big plays. So if you have that in your league, I think there's a really good argument for him to be the top wide receiver. He's also starting to get some of the level of volume you need in order to be that guy. But the guy who's been double-digit touchdowns just about every year that he's playing and fully healthy, uh, the guy who's getting more volume and more targets than anybody else right now, and the guy who I would pick over any other wide receiver with maybe the exception of Keenan Allen right now is Devontae Adams. I think he is the absolute number one from a volume standpoint. But realistically, if you're telling me I could have Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, or Keenan Allen, I don't think there's a wrong pick in there. Throw DK Metcalf into that conversation too. So let's go to the Buccaneers side of things though. If healthy, I would start these guys in this order right now. Uh, Let's go trust levels. Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski, Ronald Jones, Mike Evans, Tom Brady. Do you see any problem with my ordering of level of trust on these guys or that any of these guys is not basically a starter for you in your league each week? 
You know, I own Chris Godwin, and there's some weeks where I, I sit there and I think if I should put him into my lineup or not. When healthy, he's really, really, really um, productive. But I wish he had a different quarterback than Tom Brady. I, I miss the Jameis Winston Buccaneers. I think every Mike Evans owner would say that as well. Uh, with Mike Evans, he's been very touchdown dependent, not too many yards, and not even receptions-wise either. You know, Chris Godwin, that's the one thing he's got going for him is he gets targets and he gets receptions, but that's because he's running the shallower underneath stuff. You said it yourself. You know, Rob Gronkowski has surprised both of us. We were both dead wrong, and apologies to um, Gronkowski. Ronald Jones is somebody that I've been decently high on all year where if you feed him, he's going to get your points. I feel like he's got to be their guy from here on out. But, yeah, I guess I, I don't have any problem with the order that you have. Maybe I'd move Mike Evans ahead of Ronald Jones just because of the coaching staff, not because of Ronald Jones's ability. But other than that, it looks pretty good to me. We kind of forgot to mention Gronk in our tight end discussion earlier, but I think he's been basically a top three tight end since about week six. And I, I think any of these guys at this point, you're pretty much feeding them into your lineup if they're healthy and just letting it be. Because, yes, there are going to be down weeks, but you can't predict them. And most weeks they're going to be fairly consistent to pretty good and get you decent points. Even on the games that Mike Evans has not been great, usually he gets an end zone target and is a huge uh, touchdown producer. You're, you're not going to get the same highs that you did out of Mike Evans and Chris Godwin that you did last season with Jameis Winston because they're not throwing the ball down the field. But that doesn't mean that they're still not effective in getting production out of these guys. So I think don't overthink it at this point. You will possibly lose on these guys, but you could also very much win a playoff game based on one of these guys hitting a, a hot moment. Let's go to the Sunday night game, the Packers and Bears. Packers win this one 41 to 25. The Bears get a couple of late garbage time scores, which I mentioned at the top of the show. Rodgers, 211 yards passing, four touchdowns. Aaron Jones, 90 yards rushing in one catch. Jamal Williams, 73 yards rushing and vultured the one, like I think it was a 13-yard touchdown, basically dragging guys into the end zone. Devontae Adams has, has a ho-hum game for him. Nine targets, six catches, 61 yards and a touchdown. But the guy who surprised me the most, David Montgomery, 103 yards, six targets, five catches, 40 yards and a touchdown in this one, has by far his best fantasy performance of his young career. Allen Robinson does Allen Robinson things. 13 total targets, eight catches, 74 yards, and two touchdowns, catching from flipping Mitch Trubisky. So are we finally, though, getting what we thought we might out of David Montgomery? Yeah, I mean, and we'd get it more consistently, too, if he played the Packers every single week, but... I think that has a lot. I think that has a lot to do with it. You know, he played against our awful run defense, but he did look good. I think he had a couple of long, long runs too, if I remember correctly. But yeah, I think for me, this is more instead of seeing what he can become. I think for me, it's more of what we thought he was going to be. I don't want to completely like say that he was he's he's going to be a bust or he is a bust or anything like that. But he for sure is underwhelming for what a lot of us thought he was going to be at the next level. He's a guy I would definitely be considering depending on who they're playing. And 
with that level of volume, he's going to be somewhat productive, even if he's not necessarily going to uh, win you your week. He probably won't lose it either. So this is a guy that I'd be very curious to see how the Bears system moves forward, because I have to think that they're moving on from Matt Nagy in the offseason. So whomever the next coach is going to be and how they set their offensive system might really dictate what we get out of David Montgomery long term. He's a very curious long term hold for me at the moment. The other running back in this game, Aaron Jones, he looked good on a lot of runs, uh, especially because the Bears didn't have Akeem Hicks in this one, but 90 yards on the ground. And he does have some very interesting playoff matchups coming up. We mentioned that he's going to be playing the Titans, the Panthers, and the Lions. Again, statistically, three of the worst run defenses this season. Are we ever going to get the full Aaron Jones of last year again? You know, I think we, the both of us, we were thinking like, yeah, they were saving him for the playoffs and everything, the late, the late season push. For me, I think they like Jamal Williams. It, it has nothing to do with Aaron Jones or that he's not good. I think it has a lot more to do with getting Jamal Jamal Williams um, more carries. So I don't think we're ever going to get back to the Aaron Jones we saw last year because he was so um, instrumental in the passing game as well. And now they're bringing Tavon Austin into the mix. I would be super surprised if I didn't see him in the backfield at least a couple times between now and the end of the season as well. So you know, you're you you're gonna get what you get from Aaron Jones. I feel like you can expect between eighty to a hundred yards rushing, probably a touchdown, a couple of grabs, maybe a touchdown off of that as well. But I don't think you're gonna get what you got last year for Aaron Jones. We said to begin the year, he had I think eighteen or nineteen touchdowns last year, and there was no way he was gonna keep up that production because the Packers were really featuring him at the goal line. This year, they're throwing more than ever from the, the goal line, especially on those play-action passes. I mean, I think Mercedes Lewis has like three or four touchdowns this year. Uh, Robert Tanyan's got a couple from the one-yard line. We had a weird situation where they rolled out to one side. He threw backside to Alan Lazard, who happened to be wide open from like the one- or two-yard line. So if they're not going to give him the ball and get him into the touchdown situation, yeah, he's had a couple of games where he's been really great and he looks elusive and effective, but the Packers offense does not revolve around Aaron Jones. He's also not going to get the volume like he was last year because Jamal Williams was hurt for a lot of that stretch. And if he's only going to get one to three catches a game, he's just not going to be the volume guy that we need in order to be a top 10 running back. I don't think he's a running back one. And if you didn't capitalize even early on in this season by trying to get off of him and seeing what you could get for value, I think your opportunity may already be gone because we've already said it on the show. I don't think he's coming back to Green Bay. All right, let's go on to kind of our final game of the week. Uh, the Seahawks and the Eagles played on Monday night. The Seahawks win this one 23 to 17. Now, let's be fair. The Eagles got a weird Hail Mary and a two point conversion at the end of the game. And, the Russell Wilson-led Seahawks pretty much dominated this one throughout. It was more of a matter of whether the Eagles' defense could keep them close enough. Russell Wilson, 230 yards passing and one touchdown. Chris Carson did come back in this one, 41 yards rushing, a touchdown that he just 
was absolutely dragging guys into the end zone in order to get two catches for 18 yards. He has over 10 points in fantasy. I like the way he looked, and I would expect the Seahawks to feature him a little bit more as the next few weeks go on, maybe back to what he was pre-injury. DK Metcalf, though, doing DK Metcalf stuff, 13 targets, 10 catches, 177 yards. I mean, he's just ridiculous. Now, the flip side of the ball, the Eagles offense just continues to be abysmal. Uh, and unfortunately, that's had an effect on a guy that I really liked a couple of weeks ago, Miles Sanders, only 15 yards rushing, two catches and seven yards. Carson Wentz, 215 yards in the air, two touchdowns and an interception, but he just, he was getting hit left, right, and center. And he did have five carries for 42 yards in this one, but boy, he was just constantly getting pressure in his face. His go-to receiver, though, especially since he's come back, has been Dallas Goddard. Seven catches, 75 yards, and a touchdown in this one. Do you think long-term that Carson Wentz is going to be redeemable again? Because right now, it's really hard to say that, and they openly questioned it on the broadcast. Yeah, you know, um, we all know how how I feel about Carson Wentz. You know, I was... At the beginning of the year, you kind of questioned what I was doing with him, and I never thought that it would get this bad. I don't even think you thought it would get this bad. For me, I was just kind of hoping that we could see the Carson Wentz of pre-injury because he was playing at an MVP level. He was in the MVP conversation before he got hurt. That was the year they won the Super Bowl and all that fun stuff. But let's talk about the Eagles offense for a little bit, and Miles Sanders, too. We'll include him in this a little bit as well. I don't understand what they what they're doing in philadelphia um since returning from the injury miles sanders workload uh, workload has gone down each and every week his percentage of touches from the backfield the last three weeks 77 percent 70 percent and then last week it was 50 percent and boston scott's has gone up 18 percent 29 percent and then last week it was at 44 percent miles sanders is your guy and especially with the offense, the passing game not working as well as it is, I don't understand why you're not using the running game and the best player that you have in the running game better and more efficiently. So we can go to Carson Wentz then too. Like last year, Carson Wentz, he was sacked a career high 37 times. He's at 46 sacks already this year, and he still has five more games to get his head taken off in. So who knows what that number will be at. He also has the most dropped passes this year as well in the entire NFL. He has 29 passes that have been dropped. So a lot of it, you know, we can put a lot of blame on Carson Wentz, but a lot of it too, like the entire Eagles organization as a whole, like the offense as a whole, I don't know what they're doing. And it's crazy to me too, because I feel like they got a pretty decent amount of talent on that side of the ball with Carson Wentz, with Miles Sanders, with even Jalen Rager, you can throw him in there too. You know, he's he's their top young rookie wide receiver. There's just a lot of questions, and I feel like there's going to be a lot of moves in the Philadelphia Eagles organization this offseason because that's not a town where you can get complacent, and it's not a team either where you can get complacent as well. Yes, absolutely on the last point there, that Philadelphia is more unforgiving than almost any place in the sports world. So... I don't know what he's going to be, and if this is a confidence issue, it maybe he's not redeemable on that end. But there were some comments. I heard uh, Tony Romo's interview on Bill Simmons this last week, and he basically broke down something that maybe I hadn't considered, where 
the difference in one or two offensive linemen and what that does for how quickly the game all of a sudden has to speed up because guys are in your face. And I think we don't give it enough appreciation, the continuity that some of these guys, especially when they have a stalwart left tackle or center or somebody else that really keeps them clean. One of the great things for the Packers this year has been that they that Aaron Rodgers has barely been hit. I think he has this, uh, tied for the second least amount of sacks this year, and it makes a huge difference. When Carson Wentz had his almost MVP year, when Nick Foles could come in and be an effective quarterback, that team had, by I think, by far the best offensive line and the best defensive line in the league at the same time. The problem was is that they had an offensive line that was focused around a guy that was in his um, early to mid-30s at your left tackle spot in Jason Peters, that they had uh, Jason Kelsey, who was uh, a really good guy but got old quickly, Lane Johnson, who's hurt and been out for the season, and this line either got really hurt or got really old in a lot of key spots really quickly, and they really had probably the worst offensive line outside of Dallas this year as far as injury luck and everything else that's gone wrong. So I'm willing to say after this year that I'm open to reevaluating Carson Wentz, but for this year, boy, I, I just, I don't see it. All right, let's move to the last game. The game that literally was finishing oh, you, is... You missed a question. I feel like this is a good question you got. Oh, excuse me, I did. Uh, so thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> DK Metcalf had an absolutely enormous game. And we already mentioned kind of a series of wide receivers that we would have in in this regard. But how many wide receivers would you take ahead of DK Metcalf right now to start a dynasty team? I have a three-word answer for you. Zero. Next question. There's absolutely nobody else that I would want over DK Metcalf right now. He, they were showing... uh, they were showing a breakdown between his first couple games in the league to Calvin Johnson's first couple of years, first couple games in the league. DK Metcalf is beating him in every single thing, yards, catches, touchdowns, all of that fun stuff. As long as Russell Wilson is his quarterback, DK Metcalf is, should be the number one wide receiver taken in all dynasty leagues. If you're starting a league up. When I said before the season that DK Metcalf was going to be a locked in wide receiver one by the end of the year. I did not have this in mind. I just looked at the guy and said he had a really good playoffs. He was with a good quarterback. I thought there was a good shot that he would have a really good year. And I've tried to figure out if there are there is anybody that I can make a credible argument to have ahead of him. But with every game, he just says no. And I, I think I'm at the point you are. If I said anybody over him, I think I'm just trying to convince myself of somebody else to have a better answer, yep. and I, I just don't think there is. Don't even think about it, because this is this is a no-brainer question. It really is. All right, let's move to the last game on the list, the game that finished up just shortly before we came on air. So we haven't had a lot of time to digest this one yet. We didn't even get the full stat lines. There was a long Hollywood Brown touchdown in this one off of a weird breakdown in a play trace mcsorley the third string quarterback for the ravens was in because rg3 yet again got hurt uh lamar jackson was already out for this game because of covid and the steelers defense was basically in the ravens lap every time they took the ball they were without their top two running backs if you want to say that because i i don't think gus edwards is above 
Mark Ingram in um, D, or J.K. Dobbins at this point. So I don't know if there's anything I'm going to draw from from the Ravens side of things right now going into this one, other than it was an ugly game. It finished up 19 to 14. The one thing that you could say is that even the Steelers, despite missing James Conner, had an adequate fill-in and Benny Snell, who basically put up the James Conner numbers we've had for the last few weeks, three catches and like 33 yards and like 57 yards on the ground. So like adequate as far as fantasy value that he'd be flex consideration, which I picked him up in order to uh, have flex consideration since I had some injuries and some COVID issues with Adam Thielen and um, Brandon Ayuk this week. So I filled him in. I probably should have started Cooper, but he did at least enough to basically keep me winning my game, which had basically been won by that point because I started Will Fuller and Patrick Mahomes this week. But the one exception I might say, and it's again this tight end discussion, is Eric Ebron ends up having, I think, uh, 11 targets in this game for nine or seven or seven to nine catches. I, again, I'm not even looking at the statistics right now, but is he at least tight end considerable, you know, in a streaming situation for the Steelers who have a fairly good schedule, save for the one Indianapolis game they have. And I think that's week 16 for your fantasy lineups. If you just need to win the week, you need to fill in a tight end. Is he at, at least considerable at this point? Yeah, I think absolutely. He's one of those guys, I mean, you said it earlier, a guy with a lot of talent, pretty decent amount of expectations coming in that just wasn't, hasn't quite lived up to it. Those are still guys you want to trust in, and in good situations, those are guys you really want to put your trust in. So depending on the matchup, yeah, absolutely, I'd take a flyer on Eric Ebram. All right, so that's a good stopping point for the week. We've given you pretty much everything we could possibly talk about before we get to a preview for the last week of the regular season of fantasy. Congratulations for getting to this point, fantasy players. And thank you again to all of our valued listeners. Again, if you want to sign up for our uh, weekly email list uh, when each of these are going to come out, uh, please email us at dynastydownload10 at gmail.com. But we will be back again later this week to break down the rest of the action going into week 13. Until then. Everybody wear a mask and we'll talk to you later this week. This podcast was mixed, produced, and edited by Thomas Duncan. It is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our technical provider and distributor is Anchor FM.